Good morning or uh, good evening. Hello, everybody. Sorry that uh, we are not uh, doing it on live Instagram. Uh, some of you know that uh, during the eclipse, my uh, poor little handle was uh, hacked. Hacked in the sense that it was cut out. So, yeah, somebody was pretending to be me, which is kind of a compliment, I guess. But um, fortunately, it was sending people messages about getting readings and so forth. And uh, we had to uh, close the account. I'm still trying to see if we can resurrect it or not. If not, I'll just have to start from scratch. Uh, I'm learning the lessons from uh, Buddhism of impermanence, even your... Your, in your Instagram account can be impermanent. So even though you collect a lot of images and collect a lot of uh, videos, eventually all things are impermanent, as the Buddha told us, and they go away. And if you want, you can start again. I think it's part of the will of samsara. So anyway, we'll figure it out. This week we are going to be only Zoom and Instagram-less. So hope it doesn't piss off people. But I'll send uh, the recording for today. And I'm doing it today from Mexico. I wish you could see the view. I'm in uh, Baja, California. Baja is under. California is California. So I'm not that far from LA, but in a beautiful place n just north of Ensenada, the entrance to uh, the Valley of Guadalupe. Guadalupe, of course, besides being a virgin, is a very beautiful valley here with the wine country of uh, Southern California. So, and this painting is by Yuri Averbuch, where I'm actually staying. This is his place. Uh, he built this. It's a, a, a dobby uh, sitting on the cliff. So, hope the reception will be good and hope that um, you forgive my lack of Instagramness and we can look at the week. And because I'm today here, maybe we can even spend more time with your questions to see if there's anything that um, is more interesting for you. So I'm going to try to give more space for you guys. This is an eclipse. So I'm sure that you guys are experiencing quite a lot of craziness. Everybody in their own realm. Uh, I'm surrounded. I mean, of course, when I do readings for people, I can see the difference. It's almost as if the, I, I have periods of times where the readings, when the charts are kind of like, you know, they're like soft and nice and suddenly there are periods of three, four, five days where not only because of what's happening up there, but I think that also there is, of course, as above, so below, a correspondence between what is happening up there and the kind of, or, or what people a, a book readings during those times. I've noticed it's really interesting. It's kind of like the zygest, the spirit of the time. And I see it a lot when I do readings one after the other. Day after day, I can see the difference between the kind of people that come to specific moments in uh, the cycles of the planet. So sometimes I've noticed that there is a correlation between people that have a new moon and a full moon, and they usually call around times that are new moon or full moon. Or people that have Mercury retrograde in Taurus without even noticing they're booking their time to do the reading during Mercury retrograde in Taurus. And sometimes I change their date. And they change their date. And then it falls on the date that actually, according to the spirit of the time, makes much more sense. Not that I look around to see when I should book them. Usually I book again when I have a, when I have a spare a moment. But it's interesting to see the correlation, not only between what's happening above there and uh, below here, but also about how certain people are attracted to doing their chart in certain times compared to other people. 
and how sometimes the issues that people talk about the chart is corresponding to the issues that are portrayed in the aspects and the cycles of the planets above. So it's always a fascinating thing with astrology. And I've also noticed in the last few days with the eclipses that people who are calling, today I have a few readings, uh, during the eclipses are people who need quite a lot of quickening of their processes. So again, if we want to review what is happening during eclipses and this is kind of important because today we're still influenced by the eclipses. We're happening in southern, southern. Um, uh, I'm going like this, as if, if you know where it's happened. Southern um, America, South America. So it was like in Chile. Remember, we looked at the map last week. Chile, Argentina, uh, certain parts of Brazil. Uh, but that's the area that was very much influenced by it in many ways. Uh, that's the source of the eclipse. But the eclipse is not only a, a geographical location that's influenced by it. We're all influenced by it because, again, the eclipse is a, you can say, um, a dance between the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon have this very important relationship. Without their relationship, we would not exist, of course. So we depend on the relationship between the sun and the moon. And therefore, in many different traditions, the moon represents the mother. She guides us during the night when there is no light, when there is no hope. Um, she's very dominant there to give us uh, the direction, you can say, the nurturing, the milk, the white milk uh, of um, security, of growth of nurturing during the night during our darkest time when we go inward that's why we expect our moms to know what we feel even if we don't tell them anything that's why we when something happens and we're scared we say mommy and not so much daddy i didn't see that many people say daddy it's more like we're summoning the moon to help us in time of darkness and during the dark times usually it is when we return from work we gather home, we eat together, dinners. Remember we talked about uh, the source of happiness in Netherlands uh, for the kids there is the traditional six to seven o'clock dinner that everybody comes home, everybody gets into the cave, into that feminine energy, into that dark place, that warm place, that's the moon. The sun, of course, represents kicking us out of the nest. That's what the father's job is to do. Come on, learn how to fly. We need to get more kids, uh, more chicks in the future. You can't stay here forever. You're a three-year-old bird. You should go out and to the world and experience yourself. Spread your wings, fly. That's the energy of the sun. The sun comes through uh, the windows. Maybe I'm projecting because I've been sleeping here. And uh, in the windows, there's no uh, curtains. So every day at six o'clock, I wake up. I mean, that's what the sun does. It gets me out of the house. It gets me out of the nest. It gets me out of the bed. It's an alarm clock. It's designed to make me feel uncomfortable and and somewhat guilty for sleeping when the sun has opened his eyes. So it's like father is already out there working and you're sleeping on your bed. Get up and join him. So that's the sun energy. The sun is the father. The moon is the mother. And they're constantly connected to each other. Of course, the moon reflects the sun um, light to it, to us, basically. And we are all part of this solar system family. So when what happens during the eclipse is that the relationship between the sun and the moon is the most intense because at that time they're opposite to each other perfectly and the, and the earth is in the middle. So literally we're talking about the sun, the moon, here it is, the sun, the moon and us here getting the reception from the energies of the sun and the moon during regular, uh, sol uh, uh, regular, let's say, 
new moon or full moon, what will happen is that they will be a little bit off. It will be a little bit off out of the earth. So it will be like here, the full moon, or like here, but not precisely around it. So what happens in the full moon, in the sun and the solar, that's full moon in the lunar, uh, new moon, when they happen during the eclipses, they are hugging, you can say, or they're in the same line as the earth so they're absolutely aligned and because they're aligned in such a ideal way in such a archetypal way you can say the effects are stronger so every full moon we kind of think that we are in the center here is the sun the moon is opposite and we're in the middle but we're not quite in the middle it's as if if my head was the earth it was more like here is happening the full moon or here is happening but it's not happening right here so when it is happening right here and the earth is right in between or the the moon is in between the sun and the earth that happens four times a year usually two times for a full moon two times for a solar moon now so a lunar, a, a lunar um, eclipse and a solar eclipse. Now, the interesting thing is that we are talking about a relationship. And this year, the relationship of the sun and the moon is much stronger during the lunar eclipse. I think we mentioned it, that this year is very lunar in nature because the lunar eclipses are going to be total and the solar eclipse are going to be partial. So that means that the alignment of the sun and the moon and the earth is going to be better during the lunar eclipse. And so that's why this year is a year where we are supposed to complete, to come to fruition, to focus much more on releasing, right? Because the full moon represents the completion, the fullest glory, and now we're starting to restrict the energies of the moon or the light of the moon until the next new moon. And the next new moon is going to be a new moon in Gemini. But the biggest thing that we're having this month definitely is the 15, 16, depends where you are, of May. And that will be the lunar eclipse. It's going to be a total lunar eclipse that will take place in Taurus and Scorpio, meaning that the moon is going to be in Scorpio, the sun is going to be in Taurus. We're going to talk about it, I think, a little bit more next week because it is the passage or it's the hero journey of Siddhartha. So Siddhartha, that became the Buddha, was born, died, and give and uh, um, attained enlightenment during the full moon in May. That happens every year. We have a full moon in May, so it happens every year. The interesting thing that's happening this year, which has happened last time in 2003, is that we're having an eclipse during the time of enlightenment and the time of um, birth and the time of death of the Lord Buddha. And we just mentioned him in the case of my Instagram um, account because the Buddha taught us about impermanence, about how when we desire something and we think, oh, I'm going to be happy when I get a three, a six-figure um, salary. I'm going to be happy if I get a seven-figure salary. No, no, I'll be happy for sure when I get married. No, wait, I'll be really happy, I swear, if I have a child. No, no, actually, if I have a girl. No, okay, I had a girl. Now, if I be, have a boy, that for sure. And that list go on and on and on and on. And we constantly are in a state of lack, in a state of um, want, in a sense. So... What happened is that Buddha told us that the source of suffering is desiring, usually desiring things we can't have. And therefore, the important thing is to recognize that everything is an illusion and that you 
it's not like you can't strive for a thing. You should definitely strive to eat well and to be healthy and to be compassionate and to be kind and to help people and to strive to get the whole planet enlightened. But you also have to recognize that everything is impermanent. You received something, it will drift away. It will, like the wave, return back into the sea. So the lessons of impermanence is being taught by a Taurus during the period of Taurus. So it's not only that the Buddha was born in Taurus and died in Taurus, meaning that he began his journey and ended his journey in Taurus, but he also attained his enlightenment in Taurus, which means that the light that the Buddha received and then later on shared with everybody was going through the filter of Taurus. And what is Taurus? We talked about it a little bit. It is the tree of life. That's why he sat under the Bodhi tree. It is Mother Nature. That's why his uh, pose or his last request was to, for the earth to witness his right to attain enlightenment. So that's why there is the earth pose, uh, the, uh, yeah, the earth pose mudra, you can say, when the Buddha moved his hand from being like this to touching the ground and asking Mother Nature, which is the ruler of Taurus, to be his witness. So the beautiful thing about the period of Taurus, even though a lot of people think the Taurus are materialistic and they're attached to things, and the key word for Taurus is I have because they want to possess everything. No, what they have is to show you that all of things that you have is an illusion. And what does matter are your values or your, your talents in a sense. And therefore, Taurus is an interesting period of attaining enlightenment or attaining some sense of understanding of the world that you usually do not have, even in the more mystical slash spiritual signs, whether they're fire signs that would like to call themselves spiritual or the um, water signs that would like to call themselves mystical and so forth. But with all of that, it is our choice as souls to reincarnate into a living body with the five senses ruled by Taurus, into your body ruled by Taurus, on the earth ruled by Taurus. So it's something that we always have to remind ourselves that we are spirits trying to learn how to be human in a body. It's like uh, the same thing that I always gave you, the example of the soccer or the football, depends where you are here, we call it football, in, Mexi in, uh, in the United States we call it soccer. So the idea is that we are all humans learning how to be soccer players, right? Because we're born humans. But then if, us, if we want to learn how to play soccer, we have to train our feet, our legs. We are supposed to learn how to avoid the instinct of grabbing the ball with our hands, even if it's hovering around us, and learn how to use our head uh, to... Um, uh, but, you know, to use it uh, to, to, to achieve our goals and how to be limited by time and by the space of the court. So that's the same analogy of our souls reincarnating into planet Earth and learning how to play as human. We can't fly. We can't usually create magic. And we have to recognize that the future comes after the present and after the past, even though it's not true. So all of these laws that we have to learn is basically those that, that can bind us or can limit us and because of that limitation, create much more. The same way that the Buddha, when he sat under the tree, he basically said, I ain't moving nowhere until I understand the source of suffering of humanity. And you know what? Even if I wrote down here, it's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. And that's precisely the stubbornness that, that the energies of Taurus provide for us. 
It's not stubbornness just to be mean and to be annoying and to be selfish. It's the kind of stubbornness that allowed the Buddha to set seven days under a tree in order to give us the reason for suffering. Or at least how to get out of there. So that is the idea of Taurus. So during the eclipses in Taurus, which happens every 19 years, this process of enlightenment on all levels are, is basically taken to the next level. So again, you can go back to 2003, 2004, 84, 85 to see what was going on in that time in your life because maybe in those times you did get some sense of enlightenment or some sense of an understanding of what is it that you need to do in order to let go of any kind of illusions or desires that you wish for that you cannot attain or even if you would attain will not satisfy you because you would then go to desire number three or desire number four. So that is the teaching of Taurus, and because the eclipses quicken whatever teaching is happening, it's almost like taking any kind of class and fast-forwarding it really, really fast. You know, so any kind of um, teaching making it work much faster or able to kind of like ground it much more. So the eclipses anyway are amplifiers; they're quickening processes. So even if the process is internal inside of you, even if it's something you're experiencing in your life right now, whatever it is it is going to take, be taken to the next level. It's kind of like uh, being pushed into its limits. So especially is very sensitive the period between the eclipses. What we call is the um, mid-path or the, middle, the midpoint between the solar eclipse and the lunar eclipse. So again, between uh, January, May 1st, you can say today until May 15, 16, Everything is quickened. Everything is going to go much faster. And even the uh, assignment, I mean, even if the, we're going to go over the next week's, let's say, planetary influences, if you want to call them like that, they're going to be magnified or on steroids because the fact that they are happening between the eclipses. So anything you've been planning in this period is going to be much more intense. Also, don't forget that we have entered the shadow of Mercury, and Mercury is in Gemini. Mercury in Gemini is very, very strong uh, energy of Gemini. I mean, Mercury, Mercury is the ruler of Gemini, so obviously he's getting a lot of power. So the fact that he's now in the shadow, he's going to be there until May 9, May 9 and 10, he's going to start, he's going to be stationary, which is the most amount of confusion, the most amount of difficulties. So if you can avoid planning any very significant things, I'm telling you ahead of time, on May 1st, sorry, on May 9, May 10, if it's possible, avoid it. It's even better if you start during Mercury retrograde than to start when Mercury is stationary. Because stationary is literally saying the car does not turn on. It's not even an issue of you having to drive backward all the time, which is embarrassing and difficult, but at least you can move from point A to point B. But the stationary means your car is not moving anywhere. It's stuck and it's, um, it's not turning on. You have to uh, call AAA or your mechanic. So that's happening to us May 9, May 10. And because it's retrograding from Gemini to Taurus, we talked about it, I think, and I mentioned it in the book quite a lot. It is an interesting experience because or this whole year is governed by that. All of our retrogrades are going to start in air sign and land in earth sign. That means that the direction of Mercury is from the above to below. What does that mean? That means that he was in Olympus and he was sitting there with Zeus and Zeus was looking at the earth, uh, finding or, or basically cruising 
for a beautiful woman, nymph, goddess, a boy, man, a sometimes even plants, whatever, and say to Mercury, go there, that one, I want that one. Deliver my wand, my serpent, my sexual energy to that object over there that subject over there. So what it means is that Mercury is on a journey from Olympus to the Earth, meaning that it's going from the world of the archetypes, ideas, potential, concepts, thoughts, and bringing it down to Taurus, which is here, now, your talents, money, uh, self-worth, values. So the process is descending downward. You know, maybe eventually will have different kind of uh, retrogrades. So the direction might be a little bit different. But what's happening this specific retrograde, it's starting in Gemini, it's going to go back to Taurus, land in Taurus. So anything that has to do with communication, marketing, businesses, sales, um, PR, any words that you want to publish, anything that you, anybody that you want to connect, any concepts you want to connect, any businesses you want to put together, talents that you want to connect, that's great to do it because what's happening is, again, the Mercury retrograde is going to be able to, you're going to use that. It's almost like the ladder and snakes, I think it was called, the game you used to play. You're going to be able to bring it down. So we're using the snakes now to go down, not the ladders to go up. So I hope it, does, it makes sense to you, but what it means is that in the next 9, 10 days, you can really conceptualize what is it that you want to ground, to bring into the earth in the next three weeks. And ah, it's called shoots and ladders. In Hebrew, we call it um, uh, snakes and ladders. I guess shoots is a little bit more nice. Uh, but, you know, the game was in the Middle East, so everything there is serpents and ladders, the ladders of Jacob and the serpents of the devil. So going down is you slide down the serpent, going up, you go up the ladder. But I guess here you call it shoots and ladders shoots i wonder if that that's the shoots of plants no or maybe to shoot down anyway this is a period where you can take ideas you can take concepts you can uh snakes and ladders in uk you call it so yeah i think the israelis probably got it from the period of the mandate of the british in israel between 2000 uh, and 1917 to uh 1948 so, yeah, serpentine, uh, serpientes y escaleras. So, I guess uh, the shoots and ladders. Shoots. Shoots and ladders. <laughs> ah, to slide. Okay, you see how much uh, information you can get from uh, a name of a game. But everybody agree about the ladder. It's just that they don't really agree how to go down. So, that's interesting. We all know how to climb up. You climb up the ladder. Uh, how to go down? Well, you can use that. You can use snakes. You can use... Uh, Shoots, you can parachute, you can do whatever you want. You can slide. So the idea again is bringing down to the earth things that you have in potential. So from the potential to the actual, that's what's really happening during this period of uh, the next three weeks. So pay attention to it or next month, actually. It's going to be really strong. Um, what else? Let's look at um, a few things that I... Yeah, because there is a few things happening with Vesta this week that I would like you to pay attention to. Um, let's see. Yeah, so first of all, I uh, think I mentioned it last week. I'm going to be in New York between... Um, 
May 21st to May 29th. Then I'm going to be teaching in Omega with a group of friends and a group of teachers about how to find the superhero in you, to find your power in a sense. So if you like to do a reading in person in New York, just email me and we'll set it up. Uh, we have a few more classes there you can look. So first of all, May 3rd to May 28th, we have Venus moving away from Pisces, which is really sad because when Venus is in Pisces, she's exalted. And remember, yesterday, today, Jupiter and Venus are conjunct. I'll show you in a second a slide of how you can maybe find it uh, in the skies, in the southern hemisphere, in the, in the northern hemisphere. But why am I sad that Venus is moving to my sign? I should be very happy. Yeah, part of me is happy, but part of me is sad for everybody else because Venus in Pisces is exalted and she's getting the best energy possible, especially when she's touched by Jupiter and Neptune, the rulers of Pisces. And now she's going to move from May 3rd until May 28th to Aries. She doesn't like to be in Aries because, again, I always think about Venus as this really beautiful maid, um, makeup, uh, high heels, very sexy, very beautiful clothes, you know, very stylish woman. And she's coming to our house. And then we have to tell her what we're going to do. So remember I told you when she was retrograde in Capricorn, she was pissed off because she came with her high heels. And then I suddenly told her that we're going to go up to the mountain and um, uh, hike there. It's not very comfortable. It's cold. And she was not wearing that much, uh, um, you know, under her uh, uh, under her pants, her little, tiny little pants. So it was kind of difficult for her. Now I'm telling her, uh, we're going to go to the gym. So that's maybe not the thing that she was planning with her high heels and makeup and perfume and all that. But, you know, she has to. So she comes with us to the gym. Obviously, she's not going to be... Uh, or, you know what? Forget about gym. Uh, she's going to um, uh, some kind of uh, uh, war. You know, I'm sending her to Ukraine to uh, volunteer and help uh, uh, the soldiers there. So... Definitely, Venus does not like to be in Aries. Um, Minerva would love to be in Aries. Mars would love to be in Aries. Other planets would love to be in Aries. But uh, the Sun loves to be in Aries. We talked about it. It's exalted in Aries. But not Venus. It's called detriment. Or another way to look at it is exile. And I like that word exile because what happened is that the planet is considered to be in detriment when it is the furthest away from its domicile, from its home. So if Venus is the ruler of Libra, what is the opposite sign of Libra, where she's the furthest away, that she has to walk all around the zodiac to get to her home, is Aries. So that's why it's completely different. The food there is different. The, that, uh, uh, you know, it's a different season. It's almost like going from North America to South America. You know, it's completely the opposite side. So it's somebody from Alaska meeting somebody from the uh, land of uh, Fuego, the land of fire. So it's absolutely opposite. So Venus in Aries can be a little bit uh, challenged. Therefore, relationships in general for the next few weeks, especially with the retrograde helping it, um, might have misunderstanding, arguments, fights for no reasons, um, a lot of petty fights, like, why did you leave that there? And I told you a hundred times, it's going to be a little bit more taxing on relationships. 
As for Venus's association with finance, uh, people are going to be very impulsive. You are going to have the tendency to just shoot and then recognize, oops, uh, that's not the stock I meant. There was a different letter in it. You know, you just have to be a little bit careful with um, spending money with, again, not to burn through money because Venus, of course, is money and Aries is fire. So to be extra careful with that aspect. So just to be a little bit more aware that your Venus is not behaving in the most uh, easy way, you know, especially again with Mercury is retrograde. That being said, um, you could use it for a good uh, for good things. Um, there could be a feeling that you have more energy around your relationship or wanting to do more things because Aries is action with your partner. Or if you want to offset some of the challenges and aggression that uh, Venus in Aries can bring, maybe it will be a good time to do physical activity with your partner or to boldly go where no one has gone with your partner, meaning try to do things you've never tried before. Take a risk. Uh, or let's say you always had this crush on this person, but you always thought they're only friendships. I don't want to ruin the friendship. Okay, when Venus is in Aries, it's not a bad time before the retrograde to try to have the talk of, listen, I'm attracted to you and I want to see if we can move the relationship to a different level. Or if you want to jump and um, ask for or, or offer somebody um, an engagement ring, that's not a bad time, not during Mercury retrograde again. And in the shadow, you can handle it if you're doing it the right way. But Venus in Aries can bring action or doing around everything that Venus represents, which is justice, fairness, music, design, colors, art, relationship, partnership, social activities. So Aries just brings a little bit more spark, a little bit more energy there. Um, but what, the, what, uh, Aries in, what Venus in Aries demand also is giving your partner a little bit more freedom, a little bit more independence. Uh, and more autonomy, because Aries is very much an individual sign. It's the sign of I am. Venus is all about we are. So it's time to find some kind of a balance between the we are, if you have a partnership, and the I am. So how can I still be myself within the context of this relationship and without losing myself in the relationship? Um, and now I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Vesta. Uh, Vesta... The Virgin. There are three virgin goddesses. We talked quite a lot about uh, uh, Artemis. We talked a lot about uh, Minerva or Athena. And Vesta, I mentioned here a little bit, uh, and she's kind of important this week because Vesta this week is going to be touching Saturn. And already Vesta, of course, is the daughter of Saturn and Rhea. Uh, she's a she's basically the sister of um, uh, Demeter, the sister of Jupiter, the Poseidon, uh, the, the sister of uh, all of the gods, basically that Saturn ate, in a sense, if you remember the story. But she's a very ancient one. The Roman consider her to be one of the twelve, meaning one of the twelve Olympians. So she was super important for them. And the fact that uh, we know Virgin, Virgin, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what Virgin means. And in astrology or in general, virgin translates definitely to self-possessed or one unto herself in a sense or himself uh, in the Greek idea. And remember that we talked about it here is the loss of translation of how in the Bible uh, the word for maiden, alma, uh, is, uh, uh, cannot be translated to virgin. It's basically a young woman who is usually not married. Doesn't mean that she didn't have sex, and nobody went down there to check if she uh, is a virgin or not. But in Hebrew, the word alma is not a virgin, 
And then when the Bible was translated from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, the translating, the Volga translation, translated it into a Virgo, into a, sorry, into a virgin. And that's why there was a whole thing there about Maria being a virgin, even though Mark, which is the uh, uh, oldest gospel, doesn't mention the fact that Mother Mary was a virgin, which, well, of course, will make it very easy for her to be a virgin and have... Um, not only Jesus, but the rest of his uh, siblings. So it's a lost translation situation that cost a lot of people their lives. But anyway, virgin means unto oneself or self-possessed or somebody who doesn't need anybody. And that's precisely what the idea of the Vesta is. The Vesta, you can say, is the, of course, it's the keeper. Traditionally, it was the keeper of the eternal flame of Rome. It was considered to be the goddess of uh, the hearth. It's Hestia, if you remember from the Greek mythology. So she's considered to be that place in the home that there is this pilot uh, flame all the time going around. You know, in your uh, water heater, you still have that little Vesta there. And that Vesta is that pilot that is always there. So if you click that button, it will create the hot water by stirring up that flame or kindling that flame. But the pilot, that Vesta point you know, moment or that Vesta island in your um, water heater is precisely the idea in the ancient world. We didn't have pilots there, but we had to have a fire being kept all the time. It's not like matches were there everywhere uh, or lighters. So you had to have a fire that's constant so you can draw from that fire. So we draw from the well, the water, we draw from the hearth, the fire. And in Rome, in the area where it was the, I think it was called the Roman Forum, it's the, the center where all of the buildings, the, the civil buildings were, there was the Temple of Vesta, the Temple of the Fire. The fire was supposed to kept all the time. If the fire would go out, then Rome will fall. So that was the heart, you can say, and the hearth of the Roman Empire. So Vesta, in many ways, represents your little pilot in your charts. So it will be interesting for you to go online and do some research to see where do you have your Vesta? Where do you have that asteroid that is between Mars and Jupiter located in the sky? And Mars is, of course, action. Jupiter is benevolence and grace. So it's the mixture of these two archetypes in a sense. And she represents something very connected to dedication. Where you have your Vesta is where you are committed the same way that the Vesta virgins were committed to the flame, keeping the flame, keeping the fire, keeping the movement, keeping the action, picking the, keeping the hope. Don't forget that Prometheus risked himself and later was ter terribly punished to bring us the fire of the gods. And Vesta is the keeper of that fire of the gods. So Vesta represents dedication, commitment, Respect to tradition because we've been keeping this flame for a thousand years. So I respect tradition. I respect what was going back there. I respect conservatism because I'm conserving this fire, this flame, because this flame represents the spark of God. And that's something that we hear in Kabbalah, in yoga, that somewhere in our body is the spark of God, the embassy of God in a sense. According to Kundalini Yoga, it's located at the bottom of your spine. There is a Kundalini snake there, a female snake that's coiled, and she is the holder of your hearth in a way. Some other places feel that it's the ancient Egyptian felt it's in the heart. You know, some people may be thinking that it's in the head. But the idea is that there is 
a part of you and a part of your chart that keeps that sacred fire burning, that sacred fire alive. And that's what the Vesta represents. So it's going to be interesting for you to look into it because she is now in Aquarius, meaning that Aquarius is friendship. So Vesta is viewed or communicated to us through the archetype of Aquarius. Aquarius is people, communities, friends, power to the people, a revolution. I think that that's what it really helps Ukraine, for example. Because the difference between Ukraine and Russia is because Russia doesn't really care about Ukraine. It's just Putin. And they don't really have that morale to go and and fight for something that they don't really understand what it is. They're missing their Vesta. While the Ukrainians have their Vesta very, very strongly alive because Vesta represents their fire to protect their place. And all of those heroine stories and hero stories that they hear from each other keeps that flame alive. So that dedication, that determination was for the last few weeks in Aquarius. And now it's going to move very soon to Pisces and it's going to be there until February of next year. And the reason why is because Vesta is going to be retrograding in Pisces for a long period. So we're going to have Vesta in Aquarius, in Pisces for a long, long time. And the keeper of the flame in mysticism, in the mystical energies of Pisces, will represent a shift from Vesta, which is very intellectual and communal and connected to people and technology and organization. And I think that was one of Putin's biggest mistakes. He, as we know, he thought that the West will be divided and he was surprised that Ukraine was, the, was very united and that the West was united and that everybody now wants to join EU and join NATO. That's precisely the Vesta, the flame kept in Aquarius. Aquarius is all about communities, companies, groups, friends, so that's why China found itself, uh, Russia found itself with China and North Korea um, as best buddies. And uh, what did they? What did she call uh, the friendship? The friendship without borders, without end, without limits to Russia. Uh, they have unconditional love. Apparently, they developed it finally, and the rest of the world uh, teaming up with Ukraine. So that's very much Vesta in Aquarius. So that's what, uh, sorry, yeah, in Aquarius. And now it's going to move into Pisces soon enough. And it's going to be there until February, like I said, which is keeping the flame with mysticism, with intuition, with uh, your dreams. So it's going to be shifting. And it's funny because the flame is going to move into water. So it will be interesting to see how it manifests in your life and in your news. Vesta. So it's Hestia, it's the keeper of the flame, like we said, it presents commitment. The interesting thing is that I found out that she's the deity of baking and cooking. So that's kind of interesting, it totally makes sense. I mean, the fire uh, is on the uh, oven and I, the, back, you know, the back burner and I keep some things on the, uh, on the back burner, meaning that I have many, many things lined up for, uh, in the flames. Of, you know, as much as well, if you have a flame and if you have fire, you might cook some things. Like I said, it can be very traditional and it's uh, an attitude that pushes us towards home and family for the next week. She was discovered in the 29th of March, 1807, which is interesting because that makes her in Aries, uh, or at least her discovery Aries. And of course, it's in the first decan of Aries. Remember, we talked about the decans being very important. She's in Aries, Aries. And what does that mean? Aries is the match. Remember we talked about it? The pilot. It's a fire sign. So no wonder she's associated with fire. And it's interesting because Ovid and some other poets that Roman poets, Greek uh, tragedian or people that write tragedy, all of them related to uh, Vesta as the earth herself. 
as if the earth is our home. Now, it's interesting because they didn't even know that if you dig all the way down to the bottom of the earth, the earth itself, to the, to the center of the earth, you will find flames, you'll find fire, you'll find the magma, you'll find that core of the earth that is burning, right? And that is precisely the hearth. So there is something about Vesta being also associated with Mother Nature. Um, so... May 6 to May 12, we're going to have Saturn conjunct Vesta. So that means the two planets that are very traditional and very much grounded and grounding will be coming together uh, between May 6 to 12. It could be a little bit stressful for word, work, especially with colleagues, because it's happening with, uh, in Aquarius. Uh, Vesta has an all-or-nothing approach. What does that mean? You come, you don't have hot water. That's sad. And you go to your water heater. There's basically a situation with a pilot of uh, on-off. Either you have a pilot and we can turn it on, or you don't have a pilot. Same thing with fire. Either you have the fire or you don't have the fire. You don't have the almost fire, or somewhat fiery, or a, a matter of degree fire. I mean, is there fire or not fire? That's very, very yes, no, very binary. So that's why sometimes where you have Vesta... You can be very much all or nothing kind of person. Or if your Vesta is sitting on top of your sun or on top of your moon, again, that could be the attitude or, or fire or no fire. Just tell me that. You want to marry me or not marry me? Don't tell me maybe. Don't tell me half marry you. half. That's very much the idea of Vesta. Are we building a home together or not? Did you buy the home or you didn't buy the home? All of these things of all or nothing, yes, no, is very much the Vesta. She doesn't believe in gray so much. And she's going to be in Aquarius until May 21, and then she's going to move into Pisces until May 22nd, sorry, until February 8th. So from May 22nd to February 8th, she's going to be in Pisces. We're going to talk about it after. Today is Maypole. Remember I told you how these Sundays happen to be in the last two years falling on very auspicious times. Uh, so we had the, um, uh, the few weeks ago we had Easter a few after the we had the Orthodox Easter last week and now we have Maypole and Maypole came from the Germanic uh, tribes most likely and then spread it over so in Europe you see that they're more popular uh, the Maypole in the northern uh, the more the Germanic parts of uh, Europe not so much the lower part even though to be honest the Visigoths and the uh, Germanic tribes uh, basically went all over Europe, so it's really hard to tell where or not. But more the Latin influence was more like, let's say, the Latin languages, France and Europe, it's France and, and Spain and uh, Italy. Uh, but the more northern ones, we're talking about Germany, Europe, uh, sorry, Europe, I'm saying all that, uh, Germany, England, we're talking about more uh, Sweden, Scandinavia, they had more of that Germanic influence, of the pagan Germanic influences, and therefore that uh, idea of the dance around the sacred tree was probably passed down eventually to become uh, the maypole. And it was used for many time, many years in order to bring people together and also have people meet each other. Because again, Taurus is Mother Nature. It's the sign that has to do a lot with fertility. And it's interesting, the maypole you see here, it's like a phallic standing. It's like the phallus to the earth, which is very feminine. This is the time of May. A time of Mother Nature wears her nicest garments. We talked about it. And the Hebrew letter for the month of Taurus is Vav. And Vav means the nail or the hook. This is the tarot card for the Hierophant. And Vav is like this uh, long 
thing growing out of the earth, which is very much looks like it's the only letter that does look like the pole that can be decided, connected to the maypole. And Vav in Hebrew, the connector, is representing of the tree of life. So that's also part of what we are experiencing during this period, a stronger connection to the archetypes of the tree of life. Let's look now at what's happening with us this week. And let me pull up the chart for... Yeah, somebody posted actually a way for you to find your Ceres, your Juno, or your Vesta. Uh, these are asteroids. Don't forget that Chiron was also, is also an asteroid. And um, Pallas Athena. Yeah, Pallas Athena also is what we call, or what I call, Minerva. It's just because it's shorter. And I like the word Minerva quite a lot. I don't know why. It just sounds good. And it reminds me of... Um, Wait, somebody says, yesterday it was Valborg in Sweden. At dusk, bonfires are lit and we sing and gather around the bonfire. Precisely. This is, again, why bonfires? Because, again, fire is a masculine energy or symbol. The pole, phallic, is masculine. Why are we putting the masculine now? Because it's very, very feminine. It's almost as if the earth is here. The flowers are opening up. Uh, there is that exchange or the sexual exchange between the masculine and the feminine. And don't forget that Taurus is the opposite sign of Scorpio, which is the sign of sexuality. So if we look at uh, this week, what we have, first of all, today we're still influenced by the new moon right the new moon which is the solar eclipse you can see here very clearly the moon and the sun conjuncting and in between we have uh, uranus and uranus we said this is a new moon that is awakening us uh, getting us up uh, you see the north node there in taurus and we see that minerva moved today athena to taurus so again very strong emphasis of taurus and pisces we talked about it it's going to happen today uh, especially tomorrow a little bit less, but today it's very, very strong. We have Mars, Neptune, Jupiter, Venus, Minerva, Sun, Uranus, Moon, North Node, all of them in Pisces and Taurus. The water is being, the garden, sorry, is being watered. The water is being gardened. Um, there is a very strong connection between the idea of mysticism, intuition, uh, imagination, creative visualization, and finance, money. So literally, this is a great day today to really focus on what is it you want to manifest and manifesting it. Basically, using a lot of creative visualization to make it happen. This is the thing that you need to uh, focus on in the next few days because Pisces can give you the ability to visualize and imagine and Taurus can ground those imaginations. The moon in Taurus today is the moon of success. It's sitting on top of your north node. A lot of good karma, especially coming from women, mother figures, family members, a lot of really strong connection to your talents, maybe even an identification of a new talent that you carry from a past life that they can be retrieved and brought down. As you can see from the map, there is no oppositions, so there's no forces opposing you. And you can see the flame of Vesta, that's the thing a little here, that is sitting on top of Saturn and getting closer and closer to Saturn. So from today, from tomorrow, we have the moon in Gemini. And again, Mercury is in Gemini, moon in Gemini. So tomorrow, 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, very good days for communication, marketing, getting signed things. Even though you're in the shadow right now of Mercury retrograde, and I told you, shadows of Mercury retrograde, and I can attest with my uh, uh, stolen Instagram thingy, it's definitely in the shadow now. Mercury is in the shadow, and it's in Mercury in, in, in uh, Gemini, communication, putting things together, social media, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things are now, again, a little bit off because of the um, shadow, but don't wait. I would rather you sign things, start things, do whatever you need to publish, do whatever you need to push your agenda forward, especially in connection to business, communication, before we're going to have the May 9 period. So now when the moon is in Gemini and you have Mercury in Gemini, it's a good time to do that. And actually for communication, Venus moving into Aries is not going to be so bad. So what we're going to have from Tuesday is even though Venus is moving into Gemini, into Aries and saying goodbye to Jupiter conjunction, she's going to send a beautiful trine to Mercury. And that means good communication between finance and business or a good connection between your talents and your ability to market yourself. So anything to do with marketing, sales, communication, very good on Tuesday and Wednesday because of that sextile between Venus and Mercury. It's actually very, very positive. And then if we look at Wednesday, the moon will be in Gemini, still continuing that connection to communication, marketing, sales. And we're going to have also Venus continuing her journey. The only thing is that Venus and, um, and the black moon are having a really tough time when Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And that means that women especially might suffer from other women. Or there might be some uh, challenge between your family and your partner or relationship issues that can come up with family members It's not, or money issues with families. It's a little bit off, especially as we're going to get um, into uh, Thursday and Friday. It's going to get worse because the moon and the black moon are going to be together uh, creating a square to Venus and a square to Jupiter and a square to Neptune. And that will create a feeling of dependency, codependency, smothering, emotional um, leaks. It might not be the easiest energy. And also financially, just to pay a little bit more attention at that time. May 5, as you can see, the square is forming. You see the square between the moons and Jupiter and uh, Neptune and Venus. So it's a little bit more challenged financially, May 5 and May 6. But still, because you have that moon sent, uh, moving into uh, Cancer and we have still some leftover in Pisces and Taurus, it still could create a beautiful triangle uh, between those two archetypes. So again, it's not all bad on May 5 and 6. It's just that you have to be a little bit more selective with the kind of people you're dealing with or working with. And then May 6, which is a Friday, we have the moon in Cancer. And then she's creating a beautiful trine with Mars, Neptune, and the North Node, South Node. So that's actually a healing period, May 6 and May 7. And Jupiter is about to move into Aries, but we're going to talk about it more next week. Uh, for until October, end of October, Jupiter is going to leave Pisces, where it's been since the end of December of last year and move into Aries and bless Aries for a change. So we're going to have that happening, but we'll talk about it next week. But overall, we have this triangle on Friday, a great day for dating if you want. Uh, Just make sure you're selective about who you're dating. 
And then on Saturday, the moon is going to be on the border between Cancer and Leo, moving deeper into Leo during the weekend. Moon in Leo is nice. It's always about enjoying yourself and having fun. And the moon is going to send very beautiful energy on Saturday and Sunday to Venus. So it's going to be a pretty powerful time of healing. If we look, uh, I just want to look at to see if there is any um, um, Beltane, time of fertility, freedom, sexuality. Yeah, definitely in the Wicca, it is associated with um, um, the Beltane period. My new house, May 20th, Mercury retrograde. What can I do? You know, you can always work with Mercury retrograde. Remember, we talked about it a lot here that maybe you could um, donate something to Mercury, whether it is planting trees in his name or sending money to a cause that is really important for you. So you can say, if I close the deal and everything goes well, I promise to give 0.88% of that price of the house to something more significant. You know, stuff like that always helps. Can one start a healing process during Mercury Retrograde? Yes, definitely, because Mercury retrograde is not that bad for healing. It's not good for surgery per se, because for surgery is a lot of coordination. But if you're talking about a healing process, you know, whether it's dieting, whether it's uh, um, healing through Reiki or healing through any other forms, it could be good because Mercury retrograde is a time where we have much more synchronicities and coincidences. And if you're uh, receiving infusions, just to make sure that they know where to stick it, just to make sure that they're not, uh, uh, you know, infusing you with the wrong chemical, just, you know, be a little bit more attentive, but it's not necessarily that you have to wait with it and not do it, you know. Uh, let's see, we, besides the snakes, if there's any, you got the link there to actually Vesta Return. You know, the Vesta return basically means that the fire backs, is back to the place where it was when you were born. So it's a better time to find where the spark of God is within you because it's like a Saturn return. It's like your birthday, which is a solar return. It's a time where you have two of those Vestas activating the same place in your chart, which is the ch place you chose to have it when you were born. Therefore, you're returning back to your original flame. It's almost like going back to the house where you used to live when you were growing up, you know. If doing business, planning, launching stuff, should I just pause until Mercury red goes direct? I think you can do it until uh, May 10. And then if you can hold on to it, maybe edit some of those plans and then continue after June 4. Mercury retrograde is a wonderful time because, yeah, you can do anything you want during Mercury retrograde as long as you add the RE before. Yeah. Um, so thanks a lot for bearing with me with uh, Wi-Fi here and the no Instagram. I hope I will have an Instagram one day. When I grow up, I want to have an Instagram uh, um, Instagram handle. Yeah, it will be nice to have an account there one day. And anyway, have a beautiful uh, week. And enjoy yourself. And uh, if anybody knows how to fix it or know people of how can fix, they can fix uh, lost Instagram things or have anybody that knows anybody who works in Instagram, definitely send me an email. Um, you know, I know that it's happening to a lot of people. It happened to my friend Laura Day. It's, uh, it's a new thing. Somebody managed to do it and it worked. And then since then, everybody's trying. Maybe I should try to hack to somebody else's uh, Instagram and take it uh, and claim it as my own. Uh, it's funny because they call themselves Gahi. Uh, Gahi, I don't know what it means. It doesn't mean nothing. That's why it was a, 
you know. But anyway, um, like I said, it's going to be an interesting Vesta week. So find your spark of God. Just don't burn doing it. I love you all. And uh, yes, if you do know anybody who works in the Instagram uh, uh, department, definitely uh, email me so we can maybe resolve it. Thanks a lot. And have a wonderful, wonderful week. I'm saying some of you, goodbye.